0: Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Roekel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano. And I wanna let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at Fifth Avenue Cinema on Barard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you wanna get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christlychurch.ca or you can visit christlychurch.ca
1: slash Kitsilano. The scripture reading today is taken from Jonah chapter 1 verse 4 to 16. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, so we are uh, again
0: in chapter 1 of Jonah, and I promise this series does go past chapter 1. Uh, so don't worry, next week we're in chapter 2. Um, but there's a lot for us uh, to cover still in chapter 1. I passed over a lot of the interaction between Jonah and the sailors last week. So we're going to focus on that this week. But before we do, um, let me ask you to join with me and to bow before our Heavenly Father, um, to prepare our hearts to receive from His Word, but also to ask for His help. Father, would you help us to listen to your Word today? By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you use your Word to... Bring a life to us where we are still resisting you in our sin. And God, would you cause your word to provoke us to obedience, that we would live as those who are passionate for your glory and the salvation of our friends and our family and our neighbors all around us. God, we pray for your your help. God, we want to thank you. Thank you for your word, your holy scriptures. that you speak to us. Thank you for your spirit that you convict us. Thank you for the way that you lead us and you guide us and you've brought us here this morning to teach us. We just praise you for this gift. We ask in Jesus' name for your help. Amen. Well, here at this church, as is the case in in so many other churches in this city, we've had the opportunity a whole bunch of times to celebrate when somebody becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, to celebrate the miracle of conversion, the miracle of God's salvation in the life of a person. And that miracle of salvation is an awesome thing to see. It's just so incredible to watch. I mean, you can think of somebody who you know who's become a Christian, how their lives were changed. Who that person was is not who they are today. And they're growing and they're changing by the miracle of God and his salvation. They've met God. They've been forgiven of their sins. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit of God. They've been given eternal life. And they even have hope today in the suffering that they might be going through because of the salvation that God has accomplished in their lives. It's really this amazing thing to see someone get saved. But I want to be clear about something. Right away here in the intro. We need to all recognize that salvation is God's work, not our work. Salvation is a miracle that God does, not that we do. Because only the Holy Spirit of God can can truly convict a person of their sin. Only the Spirit of God can lead us to repentance to faith in Jesus Christ that we be saved just by calling out to him to, to open our hearts to receive the love of God for us. See, salvation, as the Bible says, belongs to the Lord. It's God's work. Salvation is God's work. And yet, and yet what's shocking about this incredible miracle of salvation we're just talking about, what's shocking is that the omnipotent Almighty good God has chosen to work his power of salvation by using us, by using you. Isn't that incredible? That God would work his power of salvation by using you to save others. In fact, this morning, as you look more closely at Jonah's interactions with the sailors, we're going to see this. I'm going to see that despite our failures and Jonah's failures and our reluctance and Jonah's reluctance and our sin and Jonah's sin, that God has chosen to save the lost exclusively through his words communicated by his people. God has chosen to save the lost exclusively by his words communicated through his people. I'm going to look at three points. We're going to look at the sailor's righteousness the sailor's ignorance, and the sailor's salvation. We're going to start with our first point, the sailor's righteousness, and dive right in. And at the beginning of the book of Jonah, we need to know something about them. It's pretty clear that as we look at these sailors, they were not followers of Yahweh, the God of the Bible. They're not followers of God. They didn't know him. They didn't serve him. They didn't follow him. And yet, even though that's the case, there is a lot that was really morally and beautifully good about these sailors it's surprising to us i think especially when we see their lives contrasted with jonah he's the prophet of god his life's a bit of a mess and these sailors they're looking pretty great i want to show you some examples first of all in the face of this terrifying storm the sailors are the ones who diligently seek out the word of god in prayer while jonah is sleeping in verses four and five We've read, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and they each cried out to his God. So they're on the deck. The sailors are all praying, crying out to God. They seek him through prayer. But meanwhile, look at verse five. But Jonah, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and he was fast asleep. They don't know know the true God, but they're seeking God. And Jonah, the prophet of God, is asleep. And interestingly, that word for sleep in Hebrew, there's a couple of different words that are used in the Old Testament for for sleep. But this is a word communicating a very deep sleep, a slumber, a deep slumber. And I think we're meant to see that, that Jonah has a coping mechanism like we often do in our own rebellion against God, and his coping mechanism is just to fall asleep. His coping mechanism is that I'm just, I'm, I'm rebelling from him. I know it. And I want to numb out. i want to numb out through a good nap. Right? We, we can relate to that. We numb out through all kinds of ways in our rebellion against God. But um, some of us, like myself, are gifted with naps. And Jonah was gifted with, with naps, which we can use sinfully, it seems. And in his sleep... As he's slumbering, trying to escape all that's going on. It's the captain of the ship who does not know God, who has to come and admonish Jonah, the prophet of Yahweh, to pray. Isn't that crazy? It's this unbelieving man who doesn't know anything about the God of the Bible. He comes to the prophet of Yahweh. You need to pray. You need to pray. Wake up. Wake up. Look at verse 6. So the captain came to and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. Call out to your God. I don't know who he is. I mean, you know who he is. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And then even after he woke up, Jonah acts nothing like a prophet of God. You know what a prophet of God is supposed to do? Minister God's words to other people supposed to talk to other people about what god's word says to to lead them to see their sin to see the righteousness of god to be aware of his judgment and justice and to take salvation that he freely offers through his mercy but jonah he sees these sailors in their distress they're desperate and he says nothing to them about the situation that they're in he doesn't talk to the captain and we know that when the sailors are casting lots right? That's what happens next. They're seeking God in the old-fashioned, ancient way of seeking God. We're going to cast some lots and let God direct how the dice lands. And Jonah's sitting back there, trying not to say anything. So the sailors are far more righteous than Jonah in the way they seek after God, and he remains silent and does not seek after him. But what's more, they have compassion and they have mercy for one another. Isn't that interesting? They even have compassion and mercy for Jonah. Meanwhile, Jonah's doing something else besides compassion and mercy. He's twisting in on himself and his selfishness and sin, and he only cares about Jonah. You can see this by the way that the captain, he calls out for prayer that we, plural, might not perish. Verse 6, his concern is for everyone. He says, perhaps the God, Jonah, will give a thought to us, your God, to all of us, that all of us, that we may not perish. He's concerned about everybody on board. And we see that in the way um, when Jonah does tell them that it's his fault, that even still, they're trying to be merciful towards Jonah. And they're like, we shouldn't cast you overboard. We know that's the solution. We won't do it. We're going to try to save you. And in verse 13, we read, Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. See, the sailors are full of mercy and compassion that looks like Yahweh, and Jonah is not. Jonah remains silent until he's absolutely compelled by his God's sovereign hand moving through the cast lots to talk. And what that tells you is a little damning. It says that, Jonah would have rather let his sin destroy him and everybody on board and Nineveh rather than repent so that all of these people would be saved. It's remarkable, isn't it? So you could ask all right, then, who's more morally righteous in the story? Jonah or the sailors? Who looks more morally righteous in this narrative? The sailors! The sailors! And yet Jonah and not the sailors, he's the one who has the word of God. He's the prophet of God. And it makes you wonder if it weren't for this storm, would the sailors have needed anything from Jonah at all? Did they really need this Yahweh? I ask this because I think not only is it a relevant question here at this point in the story of Jonah, I also think it's a question that we ask ourselves sometimes in our relationships with our friends and family members and neighbors who don't yet know Jesus. Because we observe their lives and oftentimes their lives look pretty good, don't they? Oftentimes we we look at them and, and maybe we witness some kindness and compassion in a friend that I have in the city who doesn't know Jesus and they actually care for that situation or those people when I don't. When they're more merciful and kind than I am. Or maybe we see a friend or a family member or a neighbor in the city and we see them in their own spirituality pursuing a God, pursuing an ultimate reality. And we're like, man, they're more fervent in their spiritual practices than I am. Like, I hardly ever read my Bible. I hardly ever pray. And maybe when we look at these sailors' news stories, we think of these friends, we wonder, can the Bible be right when it says that we're dead in our transgressions and sins apart from God's salvation? Is that true? What do I really have to offer these decent people in my own neighborhood? I ask all that to be a bit provocative because I think that that sometimes we do feel that way and I think that we feel that way. Sometimes when we have a insufficient category and understanding of God in his grace and how that grace operates in this world. I think it shows that that we um, don't realize that though we're all separated from God, neither worshiping or obeying him as we should, that 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 doesn't mean that we're all as sinful as we might be. God is a gracious God. And so it shouldn't surprise us when those who don't know God do much that is good and right. Because after all, God is the God not just of Christians, but he's the God over this whole world and over everybody in it. And in various ways by his common grace, what we talk about, when we talk about God's grace operating all over this world. We call that his common grace versus his special grace, his grace which he communicates to us particularly through Jesus. And through his common grace, he actually keeps a lot of us in a lot of ways away from sin that we might do. Praise God. Pray for his common grace in this city. Pray that by his common grace we be kept from much that is evil and wrong and even in his common grace he'll teach us in some ways this natural world things that are helpful and good so i'm going to show you some bible verses this isn't just me making this stuff up i want you to see it in scripture see romans 2 14 to 15 says that god's law has been written on all of our hearts isn't that interesting even the hearts of those who don't know jesus and paul there says for when gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. And this is important. They show that the work of God's law, God's natural law, his law in this world, and how things ought to be, that those things are written on their hearts. And then it's interesting. Their conscience gets into play here. Well, their conscience also bears witness with that law. And it's confusing sometimes. and their conflicting thoughts, accuse, or even excuse them. There's something going on here. Just by virtue of the fact that we are people made in God's image, every single one of us, that God has put his law in a general way in our hearts. But there's more here. The Bible says not only that, but that, the, that everyone, even if they have rejected God, they continue to live in God's world. You can't escape it. If you're alive and you're a human being, the world you're living in is God's world. And it's a world that has his fingerprints in it everywhere, everywhere. Psalm 19 verse one says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And the reality that we live in this world that bears God's fingerprints, it it works on us as human beings and it causes us to start to seek out the truth. Okay. There's got to be more here than what I'm experiencing and what I, I'm just living in my little bubble. I see this beautiful, glorious thing called the creation. And it's causing me to seek out after what could explain this creation in some ultimate sense. And Jesus, furthermore, he teaches more about common grace. He says that everyone in this world, even the evil person who hates God the most, still lives every day of their lives dependent on God's kindness. Matthew 5.45 says this. This is Jesus' words. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. It's the kind of God that he is. Every one of us living every day, whether we know it or not, recipients of his grace. And I want to share that with you because we need to see that the sailors in Jonah, they did much that was good and right, but not because they didn't need God's word through Jonah to be saved. They did much that was good and right because they had God's law stamped on their hearts. Because they lived in God's world full of his fingerprints. Because they were recipients of much kindness to them day in and day out. But to be saved from the sin that was presently destroying them, they needed more than that. So important to see. So look at our second point then, the sailors' ignorance and see what we're talking about here. We'll read verses 7 to 10. And they said to one another, <laughs> in their confusion and the chaos, Come, let's cast lots that we might know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And they cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. And again, if I wasn't clear, lots are like throwing dice. It's kind of the ancient way, you know, someone else is controlling where that dice lands. We're going to trust where that lands. And the lot fell on Jonah, and they said to one another, and they said to him, "Uh, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation, and where do you come from? What's your country, and of what people are you? And Jonah said to them, Note the irony I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, what is this that you have done? It's like, you serve the God of gods and you're running away from him? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. What is this that you have done? See, up to this point, the, the sailors, they understood that something was gravely wrong in the world that they lived in. They were in a storm. It was horrible, right? They experienced this terrible thing that was happening and they searched for God trying to figure it out, but there was no way for them to know about the sin that had caused that storm, about the righteous God that Jonah was answerable to, about the judgment that had come in response to Jonah's sin or how to make things right until Jonah told them. They had to know a lot more than the general grace and revelation of God that we were talking about. They couldn't know the sin that caused the storm, the righteous God Jonah was answerable to, the judgment that had come as a result of sin, or how to make things right. Not until Jonah told them. The prophet of God had to speak. And it's the same today, Christ City. It's the same today. See, Many of your friends and your family members that you talk to as well, they know that something is badly wrong with this world. They know it. By the way, a great question to ask as you're starting gospel conversations with others is simply, so like, what do you think's wrong with this world? It's a great question. Just get set talking about a bigger thing. What's really the problem? What's really wrong here? Is it a, is it a lack of affirmation received at childhood? Is it a lack, a lack of education and we need better education? Is it, is it inequality that there are those who have power that shouldn't have it and, and they're oppressive of those that, that don't have power? Is that, is that the fundamental problem? See, so many ask the question, what do you think is wrong with this world? And they're desperately looking for solutions to the problems in the macro sense, and the big problems in the world, but also just the little problems in their lives that are keeping them up at night. What's wrong? <laughs> And yet, as they live every day in the storm of the consequences of their sin and the destruction, destructive consequences of other people's sin against them and the destructive consequences of the sin of our ancestors that came before us and set up the world that we get to live in today. As they live in all of that storm, they'll only know our greatest problem is sin. They'll only know that. If we who have been entrusted with God's word, tell them. It's the only way, Christ said And let the sailors didn't know Jonah's God or his righteous laws. So our friends won't know about God's righteous commandments and instructions in the Bible. That there is a way to live and it's good and it's in the word of God. We won't know that. Our friends can't. Know that in its fullest, in the revealed word of God, unless we are willing as Christians to be courageous, to be bold, to hold fast to the word of God, even when it's unpopular, to live it out in our lives, unafraid, but also to talk about God's righteous laws. And let the sailors didn't know the storm was God's judgment. Our neighbors won't know that after we die comes comes judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says that. After it's appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. No one's going to know about that. No one's going to know that God will hold us responsible for all this. sin that we've committed against him and, and others that we will be separated from him forever in a place called hell. Unless we say something about it. See Christ city. God has given us his Bible. He's given us his word so that we would be people who aren't silent, but who share it with others. See, the sad thing is I think oftentimes we don't love our neighbors enough to courageously say, friend, your problem and my problem, most fundamentally, is that we have sinned against a holy and righteous God. And the chaos that, that's hurting you and hurting me right now in my life in your life It's because we've rejected his authority over our lives. And we haven't sought to learn from him, to be taught how to obey him and how to grow in following him. And we've not shared that. We don't talk about the way that our sin deserves God's judgment. And what that does is it causes the good news of God's love often to fall on deaf ears. Because the gospel is the good news that God saves sinners. But only the sick run to the doctor for a cure. And only those who are convicted of sin and the justice of God can run to Jesus for the mercy and grace that he gives. And the good news is that this God loves to save. He's a God merciful and compassionate and nothing like Jonah. He crossed heaven and earth to come to us to be made a human being so that we could be saved. So Jesus could live the righteous life that none of us have lived and would die in our place and for our sins so that the penalty of our sin would be paid for. So he could be raised on the third day as a conqueror of Satan and sin and death to lead us into victory and to eternal life. To God speaks. God has spoken definitively through Jesus to save us. He loves to save. John 3, 16 to 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So God wants to save, and he wants to use us to that end. So you, Christ's city, you need to know that you are God's appointed witnesses in the neighborhoods in which you live. You are. You are. You're the ones that God has, has put where he's put you for a reason. And he wants you to be willing to speak to the sailors in your lives. And if that intimidates you, I want to remind you of something. God has saved you. His spirit is at work in you the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ the person of the resurrected Jesus Christ indwells you and he will help you you don't need to have every answer in fact you often won't have answers and that's going to be okay God just wants you to be willing to speak about him and if you are a Christian you know an awful lot that your friends and family and neighbors don't and you can begin You know that God is a good and a loving and a righteous and just God. You know that He's full of compassion and mercy for those who turn to Him. You know that His law in the Word of God is just and right and that everyone will be held accountable to His perfect standard of righteousness. You know God's lavish mercy to send Jesus to die for our sins. You know that there's a resurrection life available to us now because the Holy Spirit is poured out into the lives of those who trust in Jesus and that one day he'll return and will be resurrected with him. You know those things if you're a Christian and have been here for any amount of time. And that's enough to start. You know that he saved you. And this world needs you to be a faithful Jonah who's willing to share God's words with others. So step out in faith. Let me encourage you. Be bold. Be courageous. The more you try, the better you'll get. The more you make an effort and have a conversation, don't worry if it doesn't go the way you want it to go. That's okay. My problem often is that I expect that if I share the gospel with somebody that they're going to become a Christian right there on the spot, right? And that doesn't happen that way. I have a good friend actually. It's not planned. I'm going to share this story anyway. And he uh, he told me he was he was one of the in one of the largest rock bands in England, in India um, a number of years ago. And when he became a Christian, they're touring to like huge crowds all over India. And he became a Christian. He quit the drugs and the alcohol and the sex and everything. He goes over and talks to his bandmates. He's like, guys. We need to become a Christian band right now. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And he was so shocked that that didn't happen. (laughs) He was so shocked that that God didn't immediately use that that first word that he shared, that they become Christian. But we shouldn't expect that that would be the case. My friend has had the opportunity now to to tour with that band. He's a pastor in Abu Dhabi, but he has had a chance to tour with them and to share the gospel with them in a continuing way. It's a beautiful thing. And that work might go on for a long time. And your work in the lives of your friends might go on for a long time too but be courageous enough to start the conversation. One good way to start is again, talking about what's wrong with this world, what the solution is. Another way in is just sharing your story. How has God changed your life? Just talk about that. Look for an opportunity to share that with somebody else. You'll get better with practice and you'll get better as you read your Bible every day. Read your Bible every day, Christ City. Christian discipline matters. Read your Bible every day. Commit to coming to Christian places of discipleship, like a Sunday morning gathering of the church, like community groups to be strengthened and built up in your own faith. So you would grow as a witness for Jesus. See, our biggest problem, I don't think, is that we know too little. I think is that like Jonah, we're unwilling to speak. And I think if I analyze my heart and if this lands on you too, know that it convicts me first, I think we're probably unwilling because we love our reputation and our comfort more than we love our friends or the glory of God. But no matter how underprepared or unwilling or convicted you might feel, I want you to be encouraged. Be encouraged in our last point, the seller salvation. Because we see here that God uses even the unwilling sinner to save those lost in their sins. And that's got to be encouraging for you as it is for me. Look at verses 1, 14 to 16. See, after Jonah told them that they must throw him overboard to stop the storm and save themselves, and after they tried to save Jonah and themselves, one last time, the sailors did the thing that Jonah said. Let me read this. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it please you. For they were concerned that even if they did the thing that was required, like they might be guilty for throwing him overboard. So they're seeking God's mercy, even as they seek to follow the prophet of God's instruction to them. And they picked up Jonah, they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. I think we're meant to see in this last verse that these men were saved. They put their faith in the covenant-keeping God of the Bible, Yahweh. And if you don't see it as clearly in English, you can see it in Hebrew because Hebrew loves to use repetition for emphasis. So I'll give you a different translation of verse 16. Then the men feared a great fear of Yahweh, right? Repetition. And they offered a sacrifice of sacrifices. And they vowed vows. There's a vow, vow, sacrifice, sacrifice, fear, fear thing going on here. It's all about the emphasis because they have become those who put their trust and their hope in the merciful God, Yahweh, to save them. See, at the beginning of these stories, of this story, the sealers prayed to every God they could think of, and they feared the storm. They didn't fear the living God. And yet, after only a couple of words to them from Jonah, the story ends with their devotion and worship to the God of the Bible. That's incredible. That teaches us a couple of two very important things. It teaches us about God's sovereignty, and it teaches us about God's Word. So, first about his sovereignty, it teaches us that despite our hard hearts, we serve a glorious, loving, and faithful God who is at work in this world and who is in control. And he's so good and so powerful that he's able even to use our free wicked decisions to run from him to save sailors. It's the kind of God that he is. In this case, that's what happens, right? Jonah rebels against God, refuses to talk at all, but God sends a storm. So God's the one, sends a storm to chase him down, to lead him to repentance. And then he compels Jonah to speak. Jonah didn't want to speak. He compels Jonah to speak by controlling the lots to fall on Jonah. And there he is in the middle and everyone's looking at him and he has to say something. See, God made Jonah speak. See, he's in control and he's good. And not only does God have plans for Nineveh, God uses even Jonah's rebellion to save sailors. Why does God do that? Because God doesn't look on our ignorance and our sin and despise us. That's not who he is. It's not who he is. If you think that about anyone in your life or anyone you see around you, that's not who God is. God is a God who looks at us in our ignorance and our sin, and he has mercy and compassion for us. The Bible teaches his heart is bursting with longing to save us. The end of the book of Jonah, we'll see that God talks about his mercy for Nineveh as mercy for those who do not know their left hand from the right hand. He's like, they don't even know the sin that's leading them to destruction. I I'm compassionate on them for that in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, we read: God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And friends, this is why Jesus came. Because God loves us. He was willing to die for us and in our place that we would be forgiven and saved. The second thing the sailor's salvation teaches us isn't just how powerful God is, but how powerful And how in control, uh, sorry, not just how powerful and in control he is, but also how powerful his word is. We see here how powerful God's word is. See, when the lot fell to Jonah, Jonah did share God's word. But as we read the text, you got to admit, he couldn't really have said less than he said. He barely said anything, even at that point. In chapter 3, we're going to see this again in the worst sermon ever given in the Bible. But even though Jonah says so little, God uses even those unwilling few words on his lips to save the sailors. Because God's word is powerful. God is the one who saves through his word. And the God who is compassionate and sovereign and whose word is so powerful, he's your God too. So let me encourage you. Don't underestimate his sovereignty in your life today. I want to ask you what opportunities has he placed in front of you? Cuz he wants you there. What are the circumstances that you're in, the friends that you have, the place that you live? Turn to him and trust that he has sovereignly placed you where he wants you to be his witness. The question is, will you open your mouth to speak God's words to others in the place that you're in? I want to encourage you practically uh, just at the end here. When you share with others, speak God's word. When you share with others, don't be afraid to open your Bible. The most powerful and good words, they're not yours. I, we talk about this all this time in our preaching meetings, try, trying to preach the Bible faithfully. And says that God's got a lot of more interesting things to say than I do. He's got much better things to say than you do. Open the Bible. I want to encourage you, memorize God's word in order to share it with others. Memorize key verses that you might share with others. If that sounds like a lot of work, guess what? Following Jesus, he says it's going to take you denying yourself, taking up his cross and following him. It's going to take work and effort. Memorize his word. I'm going to share on WhatsApp a little later on. You can check it out on our our church community's chat. Uh, A list of key verses that I want to encourage everyone here to memorize. To start working through so that we would be able to share those verses when we're in conversations with others. Jesus himself, the son of God, God incarnate coming to earth. He didn't just speak his words. He often quoted the Bible. The word of God to the people that he was ministering to. So we should do the same. All right, when we look at Jonah and the sailors, we see Jonah's disobedience, we see his reluctance, but we also see the power of God to save through his word. And we see that God has chosen to save those who don't know him, not merely through his common grace, but through his words. Words that he entrusted to Jonah and that he's entrusted today to you and to me. We're going to conclude just by reading Romans 10, 13 to 15, where the Apostle Paul talks about this. He says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So this week, will you answer God's call to go and speak his words to others? Will you be willing to lay down your glory and your reputation and love for your neighbors to seek the glory of God? Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning and we just... We want to confess to you. I want to confess to you. I have a situation in mind this week, Father, where I could have said so much more than I did. Lord, would you forgive me for my own reluctance to speak? God, would you forgive us for our reluctance to speak? And Lord, would you cause us to trust your sovereignty and the power of your words that we would just be bold and courageous? Would you cause us to see the goodness of your mercy and compassion? So that we would just delight in it and be so excited about the opportunity to share it with others. Lord, would you help us not to shy away from the hard news that prepares the soil for the good news. The hard news of, of sin and your righteousness and your judgment that prepares us for the good news of what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. God, help us to be faithful Jonas to the sailors in our neighborhoods and in our families and in our friend circles. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.